Um, if you are new or visiting with us this morning, let me just remind you about who we are. And, and our, these, these statements that we make are, are, from, are from Scripture. This is the rhythm. This is the story of Scripture. That first, that there is hope beyond our brokenness. That you right now are not perfect. If you were looking for a perfect church, you wrecked it the moment you walked in the door. <laughs> and so, I know, you know, it's, it's the way it is. And so, so, yeah, we all have broken areas of our life, but the story of the gospel is that there's hope. Meaning that our future is not determined by what was done to us or by what we've done, but it's determined by the risen Jesus Christ working in our life right now. Amen? So hope is a picture of the future in which God is present and active and alive and working, and that's the story of Scripture. Second, we believe that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. That's that word faith or that word believe. I like the word trust or the, the variant trust of it because it's a relationship word, and that relationship is key. Being in a relationship with God is just like being in a relationship with anybody else. You have to listen talk. That's what today is going to be all about as we read the scripture, is being in his presence. And when we trust Jesus, what we understand is that, oh my gosh, he's actually alive. He's not just an idea, he's real, and he's working in our midst. John, who runs um, our slides this morning, threw out his back last week. He asked for prayer. We all gathered around at 9.30, prayed for him. All the pain went immediately away. So, so God is working in our midst. Third, we believe that um, we are called, each one of us, to bring restoration for our city. So you, you bring restoration to your family, to your friends, everybody that's around you. That's the story of Scripture. Again, that's what today's passage is about, is that, is that what God does, He doesn't just fix you so that you feel better. He doesn't just restore you so that you're, you're not anxious. He actually restores you and renews you so that you can be a blessing to everybody that you touch. Does that make sense? Yes. And believe me, like, it's scary. None of us feel qualified for that job description. Amen? But that's what God is doing in our midst. And that's what God wants to do with you. So next week, bring your pocket change. Because we're going to get back into a rhythm of what's called change for a dollar. This is where next week we're going to throw whatever money that we found in the cushions of our seats or or, or maybe this just happens to be in your wallet that day, and we're going to throw that money into the offering plate, and then someone is going to give that money away to someone who doesn't go to our church next week, and then they're going to come back on the 21st and tell that story of what it's like to be an answer to prayer in someone's life. So that's next week is change for a dollar. Okay, each one of these truths has a decision attached to it. Let's read this together. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So that is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Each one of those truths that we see in Scripture has a daily choice attached to it, and I exist, and Paul exists, and Luke, and Noreen, and um, James and everybody else on staff, April exists to serve you, to help you to make these choices. You have staff. Did you know that? You can literally say, I don't know. Let me check with my staff on that. 
You can just throw that around, like at the grocery store. Oh, I just need to get my staff to take care of this. Hold on. I'm available, right? My hip is a little bit bum, but I'm available, all right? I'll get there with a cane, but I'm available. So literally, we, our job is to help you do this. And we would, oh my gosh, we would so love the honor of you inviting us into the holy place of your heart to help you pray through this and talk with you through this. That would be our greatest joy. That would be what success would look like for us. So that's what we believe as a church. The last eight weeks, we've been in the Gospel of John since right before Easter. Maybe it's been more than eight weeks. I'm not sure. And, uh, and so we're going to continue with the Gospel of John this summer. And today is, um, it marks the first third of the Gospel of John being done. And we're going to enter into a new section. And so today, uh, I'll explain that. Um, but I want to open by talking to you about my, my favorite moments in the Old Testament are the moments where I see myself so clearly. Those are my favorite moments in the Old Testament. When the people of Israel do exactly what I do. I mean, nothing much has changed in thousands of years, right? It's just the same story over and over again, right? I cry out to God. God rescues me. I forget when problems come. I cry out to God. God rescues me. I forget over and right? Rinse, wash, repeat. Okay? Um, but, and it's sort of like, it's almost ridiculous. It's, it's, you know, God saved your son's life, Andy. You know, so I get now officially to say I've seen trouble and this ain't it when something comes up in my life that really, you know, that's a small issue that weighs about 10 pounds sort of globally, right? But what do I do? I freak out. Internally, I, I, I sweat. I'm exactly like the people of Israel. Exodus 14, one of my favorite passages. Pharaoh's approaching, so God has delivered. All the plagues have happened. The people of Israel have left Egypt. They took everything. They emptied out all the banks. They're all carrying like gold and like it's awesome. There's a million people walking out of Egypt. And the next day, Pharaoh goes, oh my gosh, I've just given away all of my free labor. And he marshals his, his M1 Abram tanks. Those are chariots. And he chases after the Israelites. So as Pharaoh approached, read this with me. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them in M1 Abram tanks. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, my favorite quote, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die? What, Moses? The cemeteries were full? Is this sort of like a civics experiment? Where do you bury a million people? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Right? They're the ones who cried out. God delivered them. I mean, literally, the sky turns black. There's plagues. The river uh, Nile runs red. All of it, right? And, 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 and they're right here, and this is me. I do this. God provides when trouble comes, even if it's small, even if the truck coming to my house is a Tonka truck. You ever get that feeling? Like a truck is going to hit you? You don't know how big it is. You ever get a diagnosis? You ever face a problem? You know that something's going to run through your life, right? Sometimes it's really big. I know what that feels like. Sometimes it's a Tonka truck. 
just a little guy, like a matchbox car, right? What do I do? I still freak out. Ah, a truck is coming. Now, usually my wife in those moments plays the role of Moses. This is what <laughs> Moses says to the people of Israel. And April, if you alone could read this, that'd be great. No, I'm just kidding. Let, let's all read this together because we've all said, we've all encouraged our friends and spouses and family members when they've been in this situation. So let's read this together. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we talk about our hearts today, as we read your faithfulness in the middle of our doubts, Holy Spirit, would you come and separate from us everything that would trip us up, up, deliver us from the lies. We bind up and silence the enemy that's attacking us now in Jesus' name. We rebuke anything opposed to the works of Christ that's here. Lord, create a safe space for us. Bring your angels around, Lord Jesus. We need you. We give you this time. We give you this time to work on our spirit, Holy Spirit. And all God's beloved, adored sons and daughters said. Amen. So life goes on for me. I believe my wife when she says this. Life goes on. Good things happen. You know what it's like, right? Everything's kind of fine in your life and then something else happens. And what do we do? We freak out. That's what fine means. Right? When someone asks you how you're doing, you say fine. That's what that means. <laughs> F is freaked out. I is insecure. N is neurotic. E is emotional. Right? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's all good. Right? And this is exactly what happens to the Israelites, right? That, I mean, they're freaked out. Moses puts his staff in the water. <gasps> Boom! The sea parts. They all walk through. They have a party on the next day. That's Exodus 15, Exodus 16. They're like, we're hungry. We're hungry, Moses. What did you bring us here to Egypt to die of starvation? Oh, my gosh. And so, like, God sends quail, and then, like, this stuff appears on the ground, like, like this stuff. This is the gluten-free option, right? <laughs> what the heck is this? In Hebrew, that's pronounced mana, right? That's what that word means. What the heck is this? So they got gluten-free communion crackers on the ground every day, right? By Exodus 17, right, like the pattern hasn't changed. Read with me. Verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, Oh, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Don't you love it when you see yourself in Scripture? Look, their need for food is real. The needs that we all experience are real. But how do we respond? More than I want to admit, in my heart, I respond exactly like the Israelites do. I don't wait. I don't trust. I doubt. I complain. 
Can you relate with me? I mean, you know. I mean, you've suffered. You've, you've been disappointed. You, you wonder, why am I here? How, like, what is God doing? Like, what the heck are you thinking, God? And we doubt God because the needs that we have are real. Our pain is real. Yet the way that we think about our life isn't to imagine that there's a good and loving God who's providing for every need and, and will take us through these hard times. The way that we respond to life is those either God is absent or he's ditched us in frustration. And what we don't really understand, or maybe we see it when other people are complaining and quarreling and grumbling, but we don't see it in ourselves. But when we do this, it really impacts the other people around us. Amen? You look at the person sitting next to you and say, you impact me. <laughs> right? It's, it's, I, I know, I know. I always think that when I'm complaining or when I'm doubting or when I'm freaking out that it's just, this is just me and my emotions. I'm not really having an impact on other people. But if you've ever been a parent of a teenager, if you've ever tried to lead a team, if you've ever tried to be in a marriage, if you've ever tried to love somebody, if you've ever tried to pastor a church, you know exactly what Moses says next. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Give me cancer now, God. Like that's what he's saying, right? It's like that old Saturday Night Live skit, right? So what does God do? What does God do with our complaining, with our fear, with our doubt? And here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Your heavenly Father's love for you is never ending. God's patience and goodness and faithfulness to you never stops. Even when your fear feels like it outweighs your faith. Verse 5. The Lord answered Moses. Read with me. Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So Moses and the elders, they climb up to this sort of rocky outcrop, this precipice, and it's at, at, at it's. Here's the Red Sea, there's this big plain, and then there's this, the mountain start, and, and that's where there's this enormous giant rock. And Moses walks up to the rock, and he strikes the rock with his staff. And the rock splits open, and water starts pouring out of the rock. If you go today to Saudi Arabia, you won't be allowed near this place. But you can walk across the Red Sea right where archaeologists think that the Israelites passed. And you can walk across the Great Plain. And you'll notice that there is only one giant rock sitting here in what's called the Plains of Horeb. And you will find this rock. It's a strange rock. It's the only one that's split in half in this entire region. And curiously, it's been eroded by a lot of water. And at the base of this rock, to this day, there are wells that are filled with water in the middle of the desert. And there are inscriptions on the rocks in the hillside in ancient Hebrew 
quoting the Psalms. This is the rock of Horeb. God is faithful to you even when you forget. God loves you even when you doubt him. God adores you even if you condemn yourself. So how is, how is God going to prove to you that he's head over heels in love with you? And that's what Jesus shows up to do. And so the first seven chapters of the Gospel of John is Jesus himself fulfilling every single promise of God for you and to you. John chapter 1. You ready? Shrug your shoulders. Stay with me. Come on. U.S. women won the World Cup, y'all. You can stay with me. There's, no, there's nothing else happening for the rest of the day. This is it. Here we go. Okay? John chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is God, that Jesus was with God and is God and was with God in the beginning, that all things that were made were made through him. In chapter 2, chapter two of a little town called Cana, Oildale, right? Jesus goes there and he goes to a wedding and he changes water into He is the salvation. He is the toast of the banquet. It's, wine is the picture of heaven. That's Jesus. He's your salvation, even when all your attempts to save yourself have run dry. Yeah. Chapter 3, he goes to the temple. He, or chapter 2, later in that chapter, he goes to the temple, the place where God dwells, and he clears it of corruption. He's saying, look, when you come to me, I'm the true temple. John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, do you remember that story when all the Israelites were dying because of their own rebellion. And, and God had Moses lift up a serpent in the wilderness. And if you looked at that serpent, that the Israelites will be saved. I'm like that. I'm like, if I will be lifted up and everybody who looks at me will be healed and saved. John chapter 4, there's a royal official, has a son who's sick. And Jesus shows everybody that he's the true royal official, the true king of kings, because he can speak and a boy can be healed across time and space. In chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who's been waiting for 38 years for an angel of mercy to touch down on a pool of water. And Jesus shows him, I'm the true angel of mercy. I see you. I love you. I will heal you. John chapter 6, Jesus is the bread from heaven, the true manna, the only source of life who can sustain us in our wandering, and he multiplies this bread for people who are desperately hungry. Then he walks on water, and just like the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1, who hovers over the chaos of the water to form something good, Jesus walks on water, the chaos surrounding the disciples, and says, can I come into your boat and make something good out of your life. You picking up what Jesus is putting down? This is the gospel of John, every single chapel, chapter all the way through. And then, and then finally, everybody's like, I really like this Jesus guy. Chapter six, the beginning of chapter seven, starts with like free healthcare, free food. I love it. Let's make him king. We'll chain him to a rock and just touch him. We'll just put the bread on him. It'll multiply. We'll have ciabatta forever. This is fantastic, right? And Jesus is like, no, that's not how I work. And so he teaches something really difficult. He says, I want you to view me as your sacrifice. I want you to view me like, like this bread that 
that I'll, I'll be broken for you. And I want you to consume me, eat me, drink my blood. I want, I want you to think of me as the lamb who is sacrificed for your forgiveness. And people don't understand the metaphor. They miss poetry day at high school and they freak out. They think that Jesus is inviting them into cannibalism. And so John chapter 6, verse 66, the crowds leave and abandon Jesus. So John chapter 7, verse 1 opens like this. Let's read it together. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee uh, alone. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Now, Galilee is like the central coast to Judea is a, a word for a region. That's like Southern California. So Jesus stays on the central coast. Smart move. Doesn't want to go to Southern California because the leaders there are looking to him because Jesus keeps on making these wild claims like, I'm, I'm God. I'm the bread of life. I know my heavenly father. My heavenly father sent me. Like, I know my, like, and, and they're going, man, this sounds kind of heretical. Let's keep on reading. Verse 2. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Next slide, verse 4. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. So Jesus has brothers, like Mary and Joseph had more kids. James is one of them who wrote the New Testament book, James. So James and his brothers all say to Jesus, look, why are you hanging out in the Central California, man? Like, you need to go to L.A. They're acting like agents, right? It's like, there's just not that many people here, right? You got to go to the big city. When you go to the big city, then like, then you get the contract and, you know, and like, I can help you with your car purchase and like, uh, you know, yeah, everything's good, right? Verse 6, Jesus, or therefore Jesus told them, my, my time is not here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in the Galilee. So he says, look, you guys go, go to this party. It's a it's the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, harvest party, and it lasts a week. It says, you go to Jerusalem. I'm not going. Jesus knows that his brothers really have no idea who he is. And sit with that for a moment. You and I can be in church and around church for a long time and miss and misunderstand Jesus. Amen? Some of the people that I, that I love the most, that are dear to my heart, but who really do not understand Jesus at all, are pastors. It's like we, we're, we do this thing called church so much that we, we just miss him. And we misunderstand what he's up to. And maybe we're like the Israelites. Maybe we're like Jesus' brothers. Maybe we're, we, we want him, we want God to show up and, 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 and do a miracle right now. Fix this issue right now. Solve this health problem right now. Fix this dysfunctional family member that I keep on trying to manipulate and shame, but they won't change. Now. 
fix this, fix this problem, fix this issue. And, and, and if God doesn't show up or doesn't do what we think he should do, then we get skeptical, we doubt, we mistrust. I think a huge part of growing in your relationship with Jesus is actually admitting that this can be you. That you can have a view of Jesus which is not accurate and it's actually causing problems in your life. And the fact that you could say, yep, that's probably me, now you have a place to start to work on something. Does that make sense? Picking up what I'm putting down? Say amen. amen. Good. Okay, verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went, he went also, but in secret. <laughs> I love this. I don't know. He puts on a fake nose. He puts on the glasses with the mustache. He's like walking around. Nothing to see here. What is Jesus doing? Why does he go up? Well, Okay, so I need to explain the Festival of Tabernacles in order for you to get what's happening next because Jesus still wants to teach us. He still wants to reveal to us who he is even if we misunderstand him. So let me explain to you this festival real quick so that you can understand what's going to happen next. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, a tabernacle is a tent. So when the Jews wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they built tabernacles that's where they lived. So the Jews, when they were wandering the wilderness for 40 years, were camping for 40 years. I have a friend. He lives in a trailer. I said, do you ever want to go camping with me? And he goes, no, I'd actually prefer to go homing. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful, right? So, when you, so for 40 years, they lived in tents. So every fall, what they would do at the end of the summer, end of August, beginning of September, they would go to Jerusalem, they would set up tents, and they would celebrate that their wandering, their years of camping were finally done, and they would have this massive party, and they would celebrate, because now they're in the land of milk and honey. And at the final day of the feast, what they would do is the high priest, along with some elders, mimicking Moses and the elders walking up to the rock at Horeb, they would go down, they would take this golden picture, the pitcher of water, and, the, and it was empty. They would go down to the pool of Siloam, and they would dip the pitcher into the pool, and at the height of the festival, with the altar table in front of them, on the last day, the high priest would lift up this golden pitcher, and he would pour out water, and as the water poured out, and moved and flowed, it became living, right? Moving water. Living water poured out of the pitcher and washed the altar clean. And it ran down the stairs. And everybody remembered what God had done for them. And then they all sang Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. And read this with me. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So they're, they're saying this, Lord, save us. They're praying for a Messiah. God, save us. Lord, we bless you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, we want the Messiah to come. We want the Messiah for him to be poured out and to, to quench our thirst, to wash our sins clean. We want all of this to happen. You picking up what the metaphor is putting down? 
You get it? So Jesus is there in the temple. He's got his glasses, his nose, the mustache on. He's in the temple. This is all the week-long feast has happened. He hasn't revealed himself, right? He's in the temple. Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival. Now, I'm just imagining that the priest is standing there with the pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam and everybody's chanting Psalm 118, 25 and 26, Lord, come, Lord, come. And then they're all silent. I'm just picturing this. I don't know if this is in the text. This is just my imagination. They're picturing this. It's in the Greek, really. Um, it's, It's there. And then everybody stops singing. And then just as the water is about to be poured out, Jesus ruins the entire church service. He stands up while everybody else is seated and he says in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. Jesus straight up ruined the church service. Can you imagine if when Paul was doing communion, some dude looked like a carpenter, came in and said, that's my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. What would you think? Maybe it's Jesus or maybe he needs to take his meds, right? You go ahead and sit down now, right? Let's just be honest, right? Right? But Jesus, yeah, I'm sure he's taken off the Groucho nose and the mustache. Like, that's probably done, right? But he just stood up and he's just, has that ever happened to you before? Where you've had this sacred moment? There's, um, so this summer, I don't know if you know, but in, in, I think it was in May or maybe it was in June, the final 20-something Marvel movie came out, Avengers Endgame. And in this, if you, if you watch these movies, you know this is like the culmination of this, of like 15 different movies, and it finally peaked. And everybody had been waiting for a year, and, and it had been leaked on social media. People knew that a beloved character was going to die in this film. And so in a movie theater um, in the Midwest, a guy had seen the movie the night before on opening night, midnight, and the next day on opening day, he goes into the movie theater And as the credits are about to start, he stands up and he yells out which beloved character actually dies in the movie. And the movie theater, that they stopped the projector and the entire crowd beat him mercilessly and threw him out of the movie theater and the cops arrested no one because they got him. So, have you ever, has that ever happened to you? <laughs> it's, ha- it's happened to me. Senior year, we're with college, sitting next to my girl, my about to be wife. All of the girls in college were just jonesing to see this new movie that had come out with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan called City of Angels. Oh, it is the ultimate chick flick, right? <laughs> And April had gone on opening night. And so there's this girl, 250 people in the audience, right, in, in, this, uh, in this lecture hall. And there's this girl, 
two minutes before the class starts, like, hey, we all, we're going we're gonna to organize a trip to the City of Angels tonight, you know, like 7 o'clock, come on. And April whispers over to me, yeah, she dies. She was dead the entire movie. <laughs> so what do you think I did? <laughs> I stood up and I yelled out, she dies. She's dead the entire movie. And all of the women in the class went, oh. And all of the guys in the class went, yeah. And I was simultaneously the most hated and loved person on campus for the next two weeks. So Jesus has just shocked everyone. He's proclaimed this sacred moment, right? Right at this sacred moment, this deep, profound truth. I'm that living water. I'm the water that, that if you drink of me, your thirst will finally be quenched. That, that me being poured out on your life will wash away your sins and give you hope. Now, if you've been coming to church or any church for a while, you've heard this truth before. You get what the metaphor means. But just because you understand with your brain what the metaphor means doesn't transform you any more than standing in a garage transforms you into a car. See, Americans are the only group of people in the history of the world who believe that if you talk about something, you've accomplished something. And Christians have said something very different Jesus, God himself, has said something very different. Look, I want you to understand the truth, and then I want you to obey. I want you to practice it. I want you to do something about it. I want you to live from the truth. And so as Americans, you know, we, we get obsessed. We love the metaphors. We love the symbols. We think if we talk about the symbols and the metaphor that everything will be great. There is a billion-dollar juggernaut industry that is dedicated to the symbol of your marriage, your relationships. It's the jewelry industry. And so they've convinced you that if you buy a big enough ring with a large enough diamond or a nice enough bracelet or a nice enough earrings, that your beloved will finally believe that, you, that they are loved and that you love them. Right? Does it work? Ladies are like, well, actually. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Keep on trying. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Why doesn't it work? Well, because if you had spent the money that you spent on jewelry, on counseling, you'd have a much better marriage. <laughs> but we don't do that. We say, I'll just give her another symbol. And what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying... Come to me. Drink. Drink from me. He's saying, I adore you. He's saying, I love you. He's saying, you're never going to be satisfied if you keep on going to these other places to find your peace and your hope. Come to me. Stay in my presence. Even if I challenge you, even if I confront you, stay put in my presence. And in Jesus' presence, you will be transformed. Something is going to happen to your heart. It'll be like the rock at Horeb. 
It'll break open in God's presence. And life will flow from the places of your deepest brokenness. Not just so that you will feel better, but so that you might be a blessing to other people. I just wonder this week, would you like to make a decision to take time to place yourself in Jesus' presence? When are you going to do that? Make a decision right now. When are you going to do that? Because you're never going to be satisfied pursuing anything else. You'll always be thirsty. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, only you have the words of life. Lord Jesus, only you can save us and forgive us. God, I'm so grateful that when we're in your presence, like right now, you take our sharp elbows and our grumbling and our quarreling and you transform us. You take our fear away and you give us trust. You take our complaining away and you give us praise. So God, we're not coming to you with something to, to offer except our deep need for you. And we humbly lay our thirst at your feet and we ask you, Lord Jesus, would you please satisfy us today? Lord, bless and seal all these good things that you've spoken into the hearts, that you've sung into the hearts of your precious people here today. Guard them, protect them, bless them. I pray against, against all the enemy's plans to discourage my friends now in Jesus' name. Lord, and as we sing the doxology, may your spirit seal and bless all the good work you've done in us. And all God's beloved people said,